Hey everyone, this is Joe Cash. I'm a singer, songwriter, sometimes rapper, and videographer from Scarborough, Ontario, Canada, and welcome to the music. That's all we need to know is that he's from Scarborough and like this podcast could end. Come on. <laughs> at any time right come on we're already going there <laughs> yeah let's let's go there let's go there let's do it because you've got like uh a video out my, yes my yeah. scarborough girls scarborough? yeah scarborough girl um yeah i mean i'm born i'm born and raised in scarborough i was lived there since i've lived where i am in scarborough now since about 1996 1997 and you know i went to elementary school high school everything there it's really kind of a special place to me that I both love and hate. Um, you know, I'm sick of say, seeing the same people every day when I walk around <laughs> and having to talk to them and be like, oh, yeah, hey, how's it been going? Haven't seen you in five years. Want to get a drink soon? Sure. And then it never happens, you know. But uh, it's still my home, and I still love it. And uh, it's part of Toronto, and I love Toronto, so... It's a special place to me. And yeah, that video that I did, Scarborough Girl, um, I basically just kind of highlighted my neighborhood and all of the places I used to hang out as a teenager and stuff in Scarborough, Scarborough Town Center and my area of Cliffside. Yeah, the Civic Center. My parents got married at the Civic Center. Oops, bump the mic stand there. That's how, uh, how Scarborough it goes. My dad yeah. is... Uh, from Scarborough too, he lived his whole life there and stuff. So, what area of Scarborough are you in? Um, so I'm I'm right in Birchcliff Heights in okay. the Cliffside area, yeah, yeah. and uh, my dad grew up at Markham and Lawrence, which is where I lived okay. beforehand. He I went to I, I grew up as a young kid at Centennial and Lawrence. Oh, okay, yeah, Park not Creek, far from him. Pepper Creek area, so right? Pepper right. Creek area, yeah. Yeah, I think I used to do swimming lessons up there somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, across the uh, yeah, just south of Charlottetown. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. See, I know Scarborough. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. We bust on each other regularly about it. <laughs> but you've, you've, my left. roots go way back, Scarborough. <laughs> you know what, too? Scarborough is a huge place, and I don't think a lot of people realize it's that. It's massive. Right? There's a, all these different communities and different cultures, like all over the place. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really crazy. But that's one of the things that I love about Scarborough yeah. is, you know, it's got some of the best food in all of Canada. If you want any kind of food from anywhere in the world, you'll find the best of it in Scarborough. In my opinion, anyway. Nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's massive. It takes me longer to get to some of my friends' houses in Scarborough than it does down here to yeah. do this with <laughs> yeah. you guys, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a big place, and that's what I like about it. There's lots to do, lots to see, but everything's just so spread out. Well, you, you need to check out on Twitter Scarb Film. Scarb Film, okay. Yeah. So there, there was a book written by uh, uh, a Scarbarian, Catherine Hernandez, okay. called Scarborough. Right. Uh, about a year or two ago, maybe two plus years. Okay. And now it's been optioned as a as a film. Oh. And so they're 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 still filming it. Okay. So you should literally check it out and see if you can go be an extra or whatever. Oh yeah, I'd love to do Which that. Even is this when you were in? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh, okay, I'm, cool. I'm yeah. Patient number two. Nice. <laughs> hey, that's is this awesome. Contagion. Yeah. <laughs> Based in Scarborough. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it might as, it might as well be. Listen, before we continue, we need to thank. Uh, a, a sponsor for today. Uh, our studio sponsor for today is BornOnAFriday.com. Uh, they are a new uh, book publishing company, independent book pu publishing company. Nice. Uh, they've got one children's book out called My Mama Wants to Eat Me Up. 
<laughs> so being from Scarborough, a lot of mixed race families and couples and For stuff. Sure. So uh, this book is about a mixed race uh, mom and a child. Uh, so from now until the end of the year, if you use the code BYE2019, you can get 25% off. So Sweet. go to bornonafriday.com and thank you for sponsoring today's podcast. Um, I wanted to ask you, get, yeah. getting back to Scarborough, you talk, there, there's, a, there's a lyric or a line in there about the east end or the east side. Right. A lot of people in Toronto, when they talk about the east side, don't reference Scarborough. That's like way out east. Exactly. They, they think East York or even more like uh, North beaches. York, the east parts of North York or the beaches. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of everything west of Victoria Park there, right? Yeah. And then, I mean, even me, I'm in southwest Scarborough, and I remember having to get cabs, and no cab driver would drive you back to Scarborough from downtown. <laughs> so we'd have to say we lived in the upper beaches. And then we'd pass <laughs> the upper beaches, and they'd be like, wait a minute, where are we going here, guys? Just a little bit further. <laughs> Just a little bit further. And that's what I always say. It's east of the east end east of, the of east Toronto. End. We're, we're the true east end. Yeah. Hmm. And then we should, like, st- that could be a nice meme. It could. The True East End, or maybe that's your next single. Maybe. <laughs> Why not? That, that, that would make a good uh, EP or album name, actually. The that True would. East End. I'm going to guess that Joe Cash is not the name you were born with. No, it's not. It's okay. actually, uh, <laughs> my real name is actually Joseph Priestley. And um, everyone, you can actually tell people that have known me since before I was like 15, 16 years old. Because yeah. they all call me Joey because my grade two teacher didn't know that the E in Joe was silent. So she would call me Joey <laughs> all the time. And so everybody's always like, how come all your friends in your neighborhood call you Joey? And um, Then everybody started calling me Joe eventually in high school because I was able to get away from all my elementary school friends, <laughs> more or less. And uh, the Joe Cash nickname kind of came about because I was really heavy duty into punk rock at the time and one of my favorite bands was called No Cash. Everyone started calling me Joe Cash and there was always this saying too that was kind of a joke that Joe has no cash and owes everybody five (laughs) dollars. So it's kind of an ironic nickname (laughs) that just stuck over the years and when I decided to start doing my solo music and not so much band stuff anymore I was like hey you know what that already sticks, and everybody calls me it anyway, so why not incorporate this? Well, Joe Cash. Cool. I've thought many times about changing it, but then whenever I'm out and about and somebody's like, hey, Cash, what's up, man? It's like, well, that's why I kept it, because it's a branding, you know? Yeah. Being an artist these days, it's so much about being your personal brand, and it's not... It's just with social media and everything, there's such a uh, personal aspect to things, so I've really kind of gone that route with it, but... That's where it comes from, is an ironic nickname about owing everyone five bucks. Nice. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Did you have, like, growing up yes. in Scarborough, and you're doing music now, I'm, I'm curious and interested to, to, to discover, where did music start for you? Oh, well, my dad's a musician. Okay. And, um, I mean, I've always had instruments around the house. Early, way, way early on, I wanted to be a drummer. My parents got me, like, a little Mickey Mouse drum kit for... Oh, yeah when I was three or something that probably didn't even last a year. But uh, the one thing was I never was able to play my dad's guitars because he's left-handed and plays left-handed. And I'm right-handed. So so all the strings are reversed. Exactly. They're reversed or upside down, right? And uh, so I naturally kind of picked up drums. Uh, 
Okay. Because I can move the drum kit around and he wouldn't get mad at me yeah. for <laughs> playing his nice guitar or something. And through that, I started listening to more bands because I was listening to a lot of like, I was listening to a lot more hip hop early on. I mean, it was like in the late 90s and like early 2000s, that's what was really, really big. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up listening to punk rock and reggae and my dad's favorite bands are like the Ramones and Sex Pistols, Clash and stuff, right? So that was always there for me. And Is Greg your dad? What? But yeah, well, I mean, it's it's great music, so yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong. And it just kind of spiraled from there. Really, it was always something that I never really thought I could do seriously until the last few years. You know, I played in punk bands with my friends, and I used to play bass in a band. I did. Uh, uh, I'm a classically trained percussionist. I mean, okay. I can't remember anything because it's been years, but yeah. I was looking at some of my music the other day with my buddy, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what any of this is. It's all just French to me now, right? So, wow. Um, but that's basically, yeah, over the years, it's just always kind of been a hobby, and then people started paying attention somewhere along the line. And yeah. I don't have a big following by any means, but the support that I've gotten recently has kind of been... The last few years, it's kind of made me want to take this a little more seriously and That's cool. see so, what I can do with so it. So I got a question for you. For sure. And I'm going to look at him while I ask this question. Classically trained musician mm. who hasn't practiced. And how many times do you get asked by your friends to get up on stage and just immediately start playing? Oh, my goodness. Hey? I mean, if there's a guitar around at the party or something, everyone, Joe, Joe, play something. And, and, it's like, and what do you do? Depends on how many beers I've had. <laughs> if I'm All like, right. you know, All three, right. four beers, I might be like, eh, you know, I'm not like, there's girls around. I want to talk to some girls and stuff. <laughs> but uh, if I'm like seven, eight beers deep, it's like, give me that thing. Let's do this. One thing that I hate, though, is when people try and get me to do karaoke and I don't know the song. Because, yeah. you know, as a musician, you have nightmares of being on stage and not knowing the words to lyrics yeah. and stuff like that. So I will not get up and do karaoke if I don't know every single word to the song that's being played. And <laughs> I, I, people hate me for it, but <laughs> I it, can't do it. It's funny. I, I had got talked into doing a song once, and I like the song, and I'm not good at lyrics. So I'm not, like, I'm not a lyrics guy. Right. So I get up there, and I, it's, we're in Disney, of all places, oh, yeah. one, of the, one of the resorts. <laughs> and, and I get up there, and I start saying what I think are the lyrics, right? And then about, I don't know, halfway through the song, I just put the mic down. And I said, these are not the lyrics I sing in the shower. <laughs> and I put the mic down, and I walked off. And the, the, guys, the karaoke guy's like, what are you doing to me? What are you doing? <laughs> but to your point, I will only get up and do, like, Ziggy Stardust or... You know, just like yeah. a song I know. I've had it down. I've played it for years. If that's not the case, I'm not doing it. Exactly. Well, I mean, as like it's something that I think is ingrained into a lot of people that have been on stage and stuff before is you're taught to be the best you can be when you're on stage. So if you know you're not going to do that, then it almost creates like this anxiety that <laughs> you're like, no, I can't do this. I'll make a fool of myself when really nobody cares, but yeah. you're so in your own head about so, it. So right? are you listening to this? No, I didn't hear a word. <laughs> <laughs> so no karaoke for Greg, but if we give him enough alcohol, you'll go up and play the keys again. No, 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 <laughs> no. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what schools do you, what high school did you go to? So I originally went to Birchmount Park uh, Collegiate um, 
And then I got into a bit of trouble. Is and that different than Birchmount Collegiate? Oh, well, it's the same. It's just at the same. time, it was called Birchmount, Birchmount Park. Park. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know they, they're always changing stuff out in Scarborough, so <laughs> I can never, never really keep up, right? But uh, so I went there for, I think, about the first two and a half years I was in high school. And then I ended up getting sent to uh, Wexford Collegiate, which mm-hmm. I always say... Down the street from where I live. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I went there for several years after that. <laughs> um, but I always say it was the best thing that ever happened to me was getting in trouble and getting kicked out of Birchmount because it was a sports school. I got sent to an art school. I yeah. still make music with some of the guys that I know there to this day. And wow. some of them are doing really well in the industry and stuff. And, you know, there's still lifelong connections I have. And I learned so much. Being at Birchmount, we had musicians and stuff. Um, but... Even still, there was like kind of a core group of us that really liked to play. Actually, one of them who I played with a couple times, but my best friend and drummer, uh, we were at Birchmount at the same time as The Weeknd, and he used to play with The Weeknd all the time and stuff, right? But that's because there was only about four or five people that would play music, music, right? And everybody else had to take music class because it was a credit and it was a sports school, so... By getting sent to Wexford, I was surrounded by people that were like-minded and yeah. I could thrive off and mm-hmm. learn from. And it really, it really was one of the best things that ever happened to me. How how was the weekend back then? Like, did you did you sense something was there, or was it, or was he like the whole crew? Like everyone's sort of doing their thing and having fun. Well, you know, it's like, I mean, I knew him kind of like we all hung out in the same circles. I didn't know him super well. There was only a couple times that we'd be at a friend's house, he'd be having a party, and we'd be screwing around downstairs. Maybe everybody would be playing some Michael Jackson because he's a huge Michael Jackson fan. You right? could hear or it some in his voice, man. Beatles. Oh, yeah, he's always loved Michael Jackson. And um, I mean, you know, when you're like 16, 17 years old, everyone's drinking and smoking weed and stuff. You don't really think about stuff like that, yeah. right? <laughs> it's just, I'm going to do my guitar solo for 10 minutes. Everyone listen to me. And... Uh, yeah, you know, it was he was a funny guy, but he was also kind of a quiet guy. Yeah. And um I wouldn't say it was surprising that he has soared to the level of fame that he has, but you know, you don't really think of stuff like that. My friend Aaron from Wexford, he's a Aaron Marshall, he's an insane metal guitar player and everybody in high school knew he was going to be famous. Yeah. Like everyone was like this guy's a prodigy or whatever you call it. So yeah. Yeah. it's one of those things you don't really know until you get so too old to know them anymore and it's like damn it i should have hung out with him more but <laughs> checking yearbooks for signatures yeah exactly yeah. right no but it's uh it's interesting to see where people end up that's yeah. what i've really liked about um going to the art schools there's so many people from wexford that have ended up in all these different places in music acting film and everything and in high school there's a lot of people i'm sure that didn't think i would do much after high school or even do much in terms of finishing high school but uh you know a lot of people are like dude i'm surprised so it's hard to say but that could be a a good thing i guess (laughs) oh it's definitely i look at it as a great thing because it's like yeah you're a jerk (laughs) um you have a connection to our 200th first First our 200th guest in some other podcast yeah okay some other (laughs) 200th on welcome yeah and first for this one, yeah. for Welcome oh, to cool. the Music. Yeah, Josie Dye. Josie Dye, yes. I don't know Josie, but her um, at Birchmount, her sister Allison was my music class teacher. Yeah. And um, she was fantastic. I mean, I was kind of a brat in 
well, that's kind of an understatement. I was definitely a jerk in, <laughs> not to her, but just in general, I, you know, I was a punk and didn't want to go to school and learn and just wanted to cause trouble and hang out with my friends. So, you know, she really always tried to teach me and she saw, I guess she saw something in me that I didn't even see at the time. Yeah. And I'm still not sure that I see <laughs> now, but um, if you are listening, Miss Dye, I'm doing well. I stuck with music. I finished high school, and I don't get into trouble anymore. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was a strange connection because I'd seen on your Twitter that you guys yeah. just had Josie yeah. on yeah. What, two weeks ago. You were yeah. saying, right? Yeah, we recorded two weeks ago. We released it a week ago. Yeah. I, excellent. Yeah. So I thought that was funny, and I wanted to mention that yeah. when I came in because, yeah, we'd always be like, "Oh, can we meet her?" Because she's on the radio at that point and everything too, right? And yeah. It was. I think she might have come in, but. I was skipping class that day. <laughs> <You were> sk- <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course you were. <laughs> of course. Wait, was it one of these police protests that you were fa- <laughs> that you're famous for apparently? Yeah, that was the uh that was the early days of Facebook and So let's start from the beginning. What happened? What did you do? What what's going on here? So I didn't even care about Facebook. Um the day before was a half day for parent-teacher interviews and a bunch of us decided to drink some 40s at our friend's house across the street. And then my one, we went back to the school to get something from our locker. And my one friend who will remain nameless for his sake at this point, because he has kids and stuff now. So (laughs) I don't want to get him in too much trouble here. But uh, he was like kind of terrorizing the school and, you know, some of the parents in the hallways and stuff. So I showed up the next day being like, man, we're all screwed. We're in so much trouble. All the ruckus he caused yesterday. And there was this protest going on because... um, this kid, Brad, that we had grown up with had made a Facebook group and Facebook was so new, nobody knew what to do about it. And it was essentially just making fun of our vice principal. I think it was like Miss Birch looks like the penguin from Batman or something like that. And kids being kids, right? But the TDSB expelled him Whoa. completely huh. yeah. for just, you know, making fun of his principal online. Do, it's like, Which kids are want to do? Yeah, I yeah. mean, kids used to sit around and do that before social media, just they made fun of them in their backyards or yeah. at the park or whatever, right? So he got kicked out, but I was just like, man, I'm not going into class because if you were part of the protest, you were exempt from class that day. Yeah. Having to do with, you know, our right to protest as Canadians and everything like that. But it got really out of hand really fast. And I, w- I mean, I don't want to take full credit for causing a ruckus but i was just getting kind of bored and i was like hey let's block the traffic and then the cops were on me and there were news cameras and i was in the back of a cop car and my best friend was in the back of a cop car and i got kind of sent out of school for a few weeks and they sent me up to wexford and you know wow that was actually probably about half my life ago now so it's crazy to think about that Mm. that's been that long it's hard to really think about how everything played out that day, but I was basically just causing a ruckus, and that would circle back around to how doing that, as kind of stupid as it was, got me sent to an art school where I thrived. Yeah. That's crazy. Really That's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, best case scenario yeah. for sure. There were some awkward, you know, family dinners after that for a little while, <laughs> family seeing me on the news and stuff, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, there was there was a lot of weird stuff surrounding that, too. All Everything ended up getting thrown out because I didn't actually really do anything except, like, cause a disturbance, I think, is what they got me to say I did. And 
I was a minor, so I think I did a bit of community service. and um, But nobody really knew what to do because of social media. And now look at social media, how it's mm-hmm. taken over every aspect of our lives in a lot of and ways. And they still right? don't know what to do with it. They still don't know what to do with it. I don't, think, I don't think we'll ever truly figure it out. I mean, some people have figured areas of it out, like you know, sitting here doing this podcast. Yeah. It's going to go up on streaming sites and Twitter and everything like that, right? But this is one of like the positives to social media I've found that's come out of the whole kerfuffle, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it, yeah. Used, it used to be like, like social media, you, I mean, but it used to be a positive place. It used to be a place yes. where... Twitter used to be a really cool place. When you and I first met 10 years ago, Yeah, really via Twitter and all of our groups of friends, right? Yeah. Uh, but like... It was positive. We met, you connected. Yeah. Then you met offline in real life. Yeah. You went back online. Like it was, it was good. good. It was awesome. It was it was wonderful. And then it became yep. a cesspool of. Yeah. Then it, now shit. it's like, I find myself literally five minutes after being on Facebook, go fuck. I, I need to get off this. Yeah, thing. Yeah. It's funny that you hate Facebook hate so much, and I'm that way about Twitter. Like I, I'd rather be on Facebook than on Twitter. No, you know what? It's it's the comments. Underneath the but posts, that's, yeah, but that's t- that to me is Twitter. I don't, I nah, don't know if it's the people man. you are friends with on Facebook or what. Some of them are very good friends of yours, Greg's. So. <laughs> 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 it's like when you first have your like family members on Facebook, you're like, oh my god, I've been posting all this crazy stuff. <laughs> my mom is my voice Facebook friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy, what do I do now? <laughs> uh, right. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, the the crazy days of social media. You're right, though. It was a really kind of positive place. Yeah. At first, I found for sure. And then I think around when people kind of started realizing they could say whatever they wanted to and everybody was kind of forced to read it in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Because those days, too, you just kind of followed whoever followed you and friended whoever friended you, especially if you're in any sort of like entertainment industry and, and generally stuff speaking like that. we were all real people we weren't these yes. anonymous eggs all right? these bots yeah, and yeah, yeah. uh like weird um like spammy uh like models come hang out with me on camera tonight and it's like that's that's why i haven't used twitter that much because i go on there and it's like just ads or like retweets of like nothing i'm interested in mm-hmm. And I'm like, why do I use this? But then I go and I look at the people I'm following. And it's like, I do want to follow all these people. Mm. I don't know. It's been, it's just become so clogged. And I wouldn't use social media if I didn't do what I did with music and yeah. hmm. videos and everything. But unfortunately, it is part of being an independent artist or entrepreneur these days, yeah. for sure. You were a big CFNY fan, The Edge. What was it called back then? Um, I always just knew it as The Edge. Um, to be honest... I wasn't like huge on the entire like radio station and like not even necessarily the music at the time. I mean, don't get me wrong, they played music I like and stuff, but I definitely did listen to the Dean Blundell Morning Show yeah. religiously for a long time. I actually liked it when they started doing condensing it without commercials and putting it up as a podcast at like noon because I would wake up at like 11 a.m. every day and then. <laughs> You know, I was in college or whatever, and I'm like, oh, cool. I can just download this and listen to it commercial-free instead of listening from 5.30 till mm-hmm. 10 in the morning. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I think it was just playing in bands and stuff as a teenager and becoming a young adult. And you're playing, starting to play the 19-plus clubs and stuff and finally starting to get a lot of 
the humor and like the importance of going and talking to people and doing even stuff like this. Yeah. A big thing, if you were in a band between 2005 and say 2011, 2012 there, you wanted to eventually be on the edge and have your music on the edge. I feel at least for a lot of the people I knew, that was kind of like, hey, if my music could get on the edge, mm -hmm. then I've made it in a way. And even more so if I could get an interview on the radio station, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I used to listen to it all the time and just laugh my head off and it would make my day. So, <laughs> you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, when they stopped, when they took them off the air, it kind of started getting a little, little more cynical and angry with the world around that time. So. You started getting more cynical Yeah, maybe angry. it was keeping me a little sane. <laughs> but now I listen to a lot more podcasts online, and there's a lot of like, great content out there and stuff. So I think, it's, uh, I think having the choice is good now. He's a, he was a very polarized. I don't know if he's polarizing anymore because I don't know if anyone... Oh, he still masses. is. Yeah? Yeah, I mean... He went. He went to the fan for a bit, and now he he's, yeah, he's, now, he's like, was, yeah. now he's really curating his own brand on his site. Yes. Do you think he's, he's relegated himself to the fact that I'm known for being a shock jock? Let me just go with it. Because when he came to the fan, I thought I thought he was doing fine there. I thought he was doing pretty well. Yeah, I thought so too. I just thought that the fan thought he was going to bring everybody over with him, which right. didn't happen. I mean, there's only so far you can go with that on the fan, right? Yeah, and I mean, I know they lost a lot of listeners from him leaving the edge, but I don't think everybody went over to the fan because no, they didn't. It's yeah. two different worlds, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, people are listening to the fan for sports stuff, whereas people just like you know, I'm not a big sports fan, so I had no reason to really follow him over there. I tried to at first, but yeah, all the sports talk, I was like, who, what, what game, like, what sport? Sure. But when he was at the edge, they had all the current music that all yeah. that everyone was listening to anyway, right? So And you, you said you were on his podcast or you Yeah, I yeah. was on his podcast ooh, I guess about a week or so into October. Okay. And uh I mean he's definitely like not as polarizing as you'd say, and like he's not really leaning into the shock jock thing as much, I find, but there still is, like, those hints of classic Dean Blundell <laughs> within his conversation. But, but what's really funny is, for me, is I remember Kelly, my wife, and myself at a birthday party, and Dean was there. Yeah. There was a lot of edge people there. Right. And Dean was there, and Kel doesn't like him. Like, she's, okay, she's yeah. on the other side, right? She's right, like, right. <laughs> just, she had no time for him. Right. And... When we were introduced, he was like the most polite person to Kel. He's like, how you doing? I'm Dean. Like as if you didn't even know who he was. He's like, my yep. name's, or I'm Dean. Great to meet you kind of thing. And Kel just like, oh, why are you so nice? Yeah, why are you so <laughs> nice? It's true though. He is actually such a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. When I showed up, he came, he saw me from, I was outside talking to um, Graham, his producer Graham. And he came, he saw me and he came right at and was like, Joe, I'm Dean. Like so good to meet you, man. You're awesome. Like so great to have you on. I'm like, Yo, dude, I used to listen to you like every day. Like you're what? fanning like, out. You're, yeah, and yeah. And it's like, out, yeah. He, and then he, you know, he started asking me after if I want to like do some blogging for the site and stuff. And um, yeah, he's a really nice guy. And you wouldn't think so if you listened to him a lot on the edge back in the day. And uh, it's, it's surprising when you meet somebody. Mm -hmm. And yeah, especially if, as you said, if it's someone you don't like, and then they're mm -hmm. so nice to you, and you're like, damn. <laughs> 
I wanted them to be a jerk, but yeah. they weren't. Yeah. Now I feel like a jerk. Yeah. But yeah. No, it was an interesting experience for sure. Where'd you go after Wexford? Um, after Wexford, I well, I took a I took about a six month to a year break from high school. We'll call it a break from yeah. high school. Um, I did some night school courses, and then I went back to just get my last three credits. Um, then I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I originally had thought about going to cooking school, and yeah. then I worked in a kitchen on Center Island for the summer, and yeah. just hated it. Just absolutely hated kitchen work. I loved to cook, but couldn't stand the hours, and the pay wasn't great where I was working out there and stuff, so... I really kind of took some time to think about it. And I'd always filmed stuff when I was a kid, skateboarding. I think I convinced my parents to get me a camera for my 14th birthday or something. And Jackass was super popular at the time. So oh, yeah. we're pushing each other around in shopping carts and everything. But I always kind of knew that I wanted to film stuff. I had an aunt who worked at the CBC when we were kids. And we got to go there once and see how everything worked. I remember just the steady cams and stuff just like blew my mind i was like oh this is so cool yeah i want to do this when i get older and my mom had brought it up to me and was like you should go to film school all you care about is movies and television hmm. all you care about is filming stuff i wanted to be an actor and she's like you're not going to la because you're just going to end up doing <laughs> porn so <laughs> you're going to film school and i was like all right i guess i'm going to film school and uh you know it was I'd say it was overall a very positive experience. I really just ran with stuff there. I was, it was shocking to my family. I was, you know, straight A's, uh, student council president, honor roll every semester. Oh, yeah, I graduated with like a 3.9 or 4.0 GPA, however that thing works. And yeah. uh, mm. I don't even know how it works, but somehow I graduated with one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was great. And one of my best friends, Johnny, that I met in film school, currently lives in my house and does a lot of my filming for me and stuff like that so that's awesome there's there's what school was that oh toronto film school oh, okay. cool. it was just when it was at i'm not sure where they are now but it was just at young and dundas there so it was around 2011 2012 oh, yeah. there's something something to be said about pursuing something that you actually like yes right because my niece who's now staying with us comes from calgary and she just squeaked by literally squeaked by graduating right from high school right um, and had no desire whatsoever to continue school, didn't know what she wanted to do, came to Toronto, and is now at um, Centennial College, uh, you know, mental health work. Oh, okay. Uh, she's studying, and she's literally like an A student. Right. And studying like crazy, and I go, is this the same girl that, you know, apparently came from Calgary and had no desire to do any work whatsoever, and is doing really, really well and cares about, what she does. So similar to your story, right? Doing it, something that you actually like rather than let me just do what everyone else is doing. It, it, it's so it's so true. It's so weird because I feel like in school I was always told that like you can't be a musician. Like what are you talking about? Get a yeah. get a trade job. Learn a trade. Camera guy. Even when I went to film school, a lot of like I was doing AV work and a lot of the older guys that I was working with at the time, they're like going to film school like what, what are you talking about, man? And I was always taught in high school, like, you're not going to be able to do music as a career. you got to find a trade job or a steady job, an office job, whatever. And I was like, well, I don't want to do any of that. And then somewhere along the way, I realized, 
hold on, I can actually do this stuff and get paid for it? Yeah. And it was actually in film school. I was signing out cameras and shooting music videos. I was, artists were coming here on tour that I had listened to for years, and I was like, yo, can I film your concert? And they're like, hell yeah, you can. And it was like, wow, these people that I never thought I'd ever meet are just completely accessible, and you can make a living doing this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of hard work to do what you want to do, but, you know, with your niece, when I was in school, they wouldn't, if I was like, I want to be a mental health, first off, I, they they wouldn't have even have let me know that was an option. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Don't tell Joe. Don't tell Joe. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. I don't know how I would ever give people advice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, it's, I, I love our system, our education system we have here in Canada, but as all systems of education, I find you're always going to find things about that are flawed. And I never felt that any of my teachers in school really, other than maybe the odd one or two, I never felt that any of them really like were able to get me to get interested in stuff I wanted to do. Hmm. And there weren't really options for me. Like I didn't have recording. Like I couldn't, if I was like, Oh, I want to record bands. They'd be like, ha. Get a normal job. But now it's like I have several friends that record bands full time and make great money doing it and yeah, have right. their own studios. Who, who are some of the first bands you uh, you filmed? Oh, um, so one of the earliest bands I filmed is this band Mad Conductor. It's actually going to kind of come back around here because the front man of Mad Conductor was the original singer of the punk band No Cash, which is where I get my nickname, <laughs> Joe Cash. And I hit him up on Facebook. I was like, dude, you're coming to Toronto. This is awesome. Can I film your set? He's like, better yet, film us all weekend. Let's make a little documentary. And I was like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> 15-year-old Joe is going nuts right now. <laughs> and uh, from there, I met my friend Matt Almeida, who does a lot of concert booking. He currently runs the uh, Grand Girard Theater just down at uh, Jones and Girard there. Mm-hmm. And... Um, He's gotten me, I mean, uh, thanks to him, I filmed people like Swollen Members, uh, Red Man, uh, <laughs> some of my favorite punk bands of all time, like Leftover Crack, Mad Conductor, Morning Glory. Um, through that, I was able to get into King of the Dot, and that's where, you know, I started filming the rap battles and helping with that. Um, we did stuff with Drake and the numerous people I met through there including people like Sean, who introduced me to you, and now I'm sitting here. So it's all kind of like an interesting, weird thing that is like all I had to do was send a Facebook message. Look at that. See, something good came out of Facebook. Something good came out of Facebook. That's two things. One, you went to Wexford. One, I went to Wexford. Two? Two was, uh, yep, uh, filming with Mad Conductor. And uh, the rest is... Yeah, as they say, history. I don't know. It's not really history, though. I'm not really anybody. <laughs> so, so they're not going to write books about me, I don't think. <laughs> so how much does your, you know, going to film school and the work you've done in film influence maybe your music, but definitely, well, not definitely, and your videos? I'm oh, um, well, I mean, the big thing it did was kind of make me realize that if I just get a camera and apply myself that I can pump out the content that I want to pump out. Mm -hmm. And I own all my own cameras and everything. And I've taken my friends that didn't go to film school with me and trained them how to use cameras and stuff so they can film my videos. 
Mm-hmm. And so now I can almost go into, like, I went into writing Scarborough Girl. I didn't know where I was going with it. I just really liked the beat, and I'd always wanted to do something over that beat. And I was like, yo, I'll write something about Scarborough, and then I'll just go around the neighborhood, and you hold the camera, and I'll dance like a jackass. And uh, we'll go to all these different spots, and I'll put it online, and it'll be cool if it gets, like, 200 views. And then, you know, it does insanely well. And I think that is definitely because I'm able to look at what I'm about to do as a whole from start Mm -hmm. to finish, as opposed to being like, here's a song, now what do I do with it? Or here's a video video idea, what can I do, what kind of song do I need to bring this video idea to life? And it's, uh, they influence each other. I always say the video's gotta complement the song and the song has to complement the video, so by all means, learning that stuff has been a massive help and massive improvement on Hmm. Me as an overall artist, I'd, th- I'd say. Greg, we've talked a lot, just you and I off, off mic, about the change in the music industry, uh, especially how old, well, how old you are, first of all, but how old Jesus. we are. <laughs> right? Like where, where artists used to release albums, mm-hmm. right? And you would listen, you would go to Sam the Record Man in Toronto. It was an experience. It was an experience, right? You, you'd listen right? to the album. You would read the liner notes. You'd look at the photos, like m- more so than the record. Sometimes, if if a booklet came with the album, that was like that was gold, right? There'd be photos and many stories. The lyrics were there. It would be r- it would be awesome, right? You'd, you'd read the lyrics and whatever was written about the song, along with listening to the song, mm-hmm. and there was almost like a theme to that. Um, and Joe, you've you, you've you've listened to artists in the past that that released proper what we call albums, right? Oh, of full, course, yeah. Full albums. Full albums. Full like albums, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full albums. But it's different today. It's very different today. Right? What is change, like, in, in your mind for you, because you release singles and videos, like, as a whole. Yes. Right? I'll, I'll, I've released two EPs. I have another one coming out in the new year that, well, hopefully coming out sooner than later. But I won't release a single without a video. Yeah. And I feel that's just because, I mean, things are changing again. This was something that I've kind of started doing the last few years, but now things are changing again so much with streaming that it's almost starting to go back to releasing singles. The video is not as important. It's more important to get it on Spotify. But yeah, I remember going to HMV or Sam the Record Man and picking up a CD of some punk band that one of my friends told me about and as you said, looking at the cool stuff that came with it. And like yeah. there was a poster with it, the lyrics and putting that CD in without hearing it ever or hearing the band because I couldn't go look it up on YouTube. And then going and listening to it and like just taking it in with no distractions. And it was a different kind of experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like, oh, this new artist just put out a new song. You watch like two minutes of it, and if you're not feeling it, you're like, okay, I'm over this. Who else put out a new song this week? And it's harder to, I find, build hype with um, album releases because people aren't really looking out for stuff these days. People are more like, oh, this just came out. This is what everybody's talking about. Let me check it out. Yeah. So does that influence how you make a song? Yeah, for sure. I mean... I did Scarborough Girl as a filler song because I hadn't released anything in a while and it was going to be another month or two before my Mm. next release. 
and I just want to stay consistent because people want consistency. People want you to be putting out a song every month or every two months with some sort of visual component or on the streaming services. And I was like, if, if you don't release anything for six months, you can almost fade in back into obscurity if you have a little bit of buzz going. Mm -hmm. So I put out Scarborough Girl strictly just to tie people over. And now it's the best. It's done the best out of any song I've ever released or video I've ever released. And I wasn't expecting that. But it forced me to not be like, oh, OK, I'm going to wait a year and put out an album and then the people will still be there because the people still won't be there mm -hmm. to listen. It's not like they buy your album and they have your album at home and it's one of the 10 albums they listen to for the next few months. Yeah. It's like, oh, new song out? Cool, I'll listen to this for a week and then forget about you because these other people have released a new song. Interesting. That's just my observations. Mm -hmm. I went from, you know, when I started doing music to being like, I'm going to record in a big studio and release an album and have videos on much music and tour the world. And now it's like, it took me forever just to get my stuff on Spotify. And now I'm like sitting at my computer looking at my Spotify streams, <laughs> hitting refresh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's like, there's another one. There's another one. But it's just so different. That's really interesting. Speaking of filler songs, Greg, do you, are you familiar with any bands that have sort of had, you know, we've got like 10 minutes, we need another single, and they've created a filler song? A filler song? Yeah. I guess it would yeah. be like creating a single that's probably not going to end up on a project, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so like Def Leppard did one, and it ended up being one of their most popular songs. Pour some sugar on me. Oh, really? That was just was one song? of those. Oh, yeah. It was like we you know, we got some time. There's still we needed we need another single from the album. From from what I remember hearing, Pour some sugar on me was one of those songs that because they just needed another single, and so they needed came up with a single, song. or they needed another another song single to for the album. Oh, okay. And so that was, they came up with that song and they said, okay, let's throw that on there. Well, wow. yeah, I mean, I think of, I think of, and I was just reading about this the other day with um, the Rio Statics doing the music for whale music, the movie. Oh, so, right. Okay. So they did, they did the, they did an album called Whale Music that was inspired by the book. And then when the book was commissioned for the movie, the author came to them and said, the author came to them and said, okay, I actually want you now to do the soundtrack. And so the biggest single off that was Claire, which mm. was a, their probably the biggest hit sure. that they've had. Yeah. And and really it was like it was a, a, a spoof on writing. Not a spoof. They wrote it because it was the song that the guy in the book finally got a hit. So they had to write something that sounded like a hit. It ended up being their biggest hit, and yet it's so not indicative of what of what the music is. Of what yeah. they do, I mean right. I love it, but it, yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, their, their whole sound is... I need, We need to talk to Bedini about this one. <laughs> you know, I feel like that happened a lot in the... There's a lot of one-hit wonders that came out of the 90s that were like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even if you hear What I Got by Sublime, it sounds like Sublime, but only if you already know Sublime. Yeah. Whereas you listen to their other stuff, it's all like this punk, ska, reggae, horns, heavy distorted guitar, and then there's that acoustic riff that everybody's heard a million yeah. times yeah. right and yeah you know what that's uh that's interesting pour some sugar on me that makes a bit of sense too that it was just like oh let's just do a, do something to fill this throw, space throw the drum beat down yeah because it's yeah. such like yeah. just kind of a ridiculous Simple. song yeah, yeah. right it's just like a ridiculous fun song it's like oh let's think of something catchy we can sing and 
there's a song just to put in there somewhere. Yeah, you could tell they were on drugs and something. Yeah. And <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so I've been told to ask, and you mentioned him already, Drake. Yes. Um, ask you about sitting with him, and there was some teenage girl rush or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so what, tell me, what is this story? So he did um, our... King of the Dot event, Blackout 5. Yes, it was Blackout 5. Uh, him and OVO did the event, partnered with us to do the event. Um, we did the press conference at the hotel, which is, I think, the Delta Chelsea at Young and Gerard there. And Drake just showed up. He didn't tell anyone he was showing up to the press conference. Yeah. And then at the same time that we were doing the press conference and had all these battle rappers and Drake shows up, there's like some young business leader of tomorrow conference going on with all like these 12 to 15 year old kids in the hotel <laughs> yeah so next thing you know all the kids some kids sees drake come into the hotel and there's like hundreds of kids in the lobby trying to get into the press conference all these cops have to come and like make barricades for the kids <laughs> and everything i end up sitting right next i just sat down and drake ends up sitting next to me and i think organic or someone was like you film him the entire time. So then all these pictures went up online of me sitting next to Drake. And all these people were like, hey, man, can you introduce me to Drake, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, I just kind of sat next <laughs> to him. And my picture happened to be taken sitting next to him. Um, but it was pretty wild because then everybody had to, like, sneak him out of the back door because there were way too many kids. But then you had all these rappers, like, drinking and, like, rolling up blunts and like around the all hotel. these kids and so <laughs> and then the cops are there and then people are getting kicked out of the hotel and it was just like it was pandemonium but it was one of the coolest experiences i think of my life just in terms of like what what is going on it was just it was just a madhouse power of celebrity hmm. yeah now, did you did you film any stuff with him at um, I didn't film anything directly, like, with... I wasn't like, hey, Drake, I need to film something with yeah. you. But I, like, he was asking questions, um, a lot of questions to the battle rappers throughout the press conference, and it was my job to cover him while he asked the questions and stuff. But yeah. then some of that footage actually ended up in a documentary um, about Asian-American rappers. I think it was called Bad Rap or something, and it has, like, Dumbfounded and... Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other people in it. I think maybe Jin's in there and stuff. But they ended up using some of that footage of Drake because he was asking dumbfounded questions and everything. Yeah. And I ended up in some, my footage ended up in some documentary that went to a bunch of film festivals and stuff. Look at that. <laughs> it was awesome. kind of cool, yeah. And, uh, you know, the picture of me and Drake was my Tinder profile picture for a while, so that <laughs> definitely helped things out a little bit in that department. And, uh Hey, thanks, Drake. <laughs> you, uh, I met some ladies because of you. We'll we'll leave it at that. For <laughs> <laughs> nice. So tell me, because I don't know, Greg. I don't know if you were ever familiar with King of the Dot. Um, I only know of King of the Dot through Sean. Right. And then you know I talked to Ben, who who we, we work at the same company, and he's oh my great, but King of the Dot is like the biggest thing ever. Yeah. What the heck is King of the Dot? How did it get started, and, and where is it today? Okay, so it's rap battles, live rap battles. Yeah. Um, it's not like the traditional rap battles you think of, like from 8 Mile, freestyling over yeah. the beats. It's all a cappella. There's no beats. It's A lot of the times it's pre-written. Uh, the opponents will – you'll know who you're battling usually, hopefully, a month or so in advance, so you have time to kind of write and – curate your material to your opponent mm -hmm. um 
and a big part what's cool about that is you know some of the best writers in the world are battle rappers and they just kind of fly under the radar a bit but they've all gone on to do really big things right it all started though i've been with them since i want to say 2012 2013 they started in 2008 Hmm. organic started it um shouts out to organic by the way if he's listening um he started it to just putting these together. They would do them in alleyways and parks in downtown Toronto. Everyone would just kind of get together in a park. Somebody would film it on their parents' camcorder, and they'd upload it to YouTube. And even the early days of World Star Hip Hop, they were a big... Them and Grind Time, which was the American Battle Rap League, they were big proponents of uh, helping... Is proponent the right word? They were a big help in getting World Star off the ground as well with the rap battles and the content. And it just grew so massively. I think the first event, I started helping with just promo stuff. And the first event I think I helped with promo was Blackout 3. And it was the second time Drake had come to an event. And they sold out the government to the point where they had to open up the club upstairs because there were so many people. And the staff of the government was saying, this is the biggest event we've ever had here Mm. in the history of this club. Hmm. And five years ago, it was in some park just off of Young Street by, like, Young and Dundas. Yeah. 30, 40 people rapping at each other. And, I mean, now they have divisions. We have divisions in Vancouver, Detroit, Los Angeles, Arizona, um, the U.K., um, of course, Toronto still here. There have been Montreal divisions, Calgary divisions. I believe they just started doing events in Washington uh, and Seattle and the U.S. and stuff. And... It's grown to this massive kind of entertainment. For a while, it was also like, you know, they were putting out albums, um, music videos, extra content and stuff. And the But it's all it's such a weird thing to think about because it's battle rap. You know, it's, yeah. it's two grown men yelling poems at each other for half an hour at a time. <laughs> but, man, it's so entertaining. And I was sure. a fan of it beforehand. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to get involved in this because I just want to help out with this, and this is awesome. And, uh, yeah, so that was about 2012, 2013. I met Sean. I met Ben. I remember Ben in Detroit. I won't won't go into depth about it here, but you should ask him about his Detroit experience. Ben in Detroit. (laughs) Ask him about his Detroit experience. That was hilarious. He'll tell you all about it. He had a few (laughs) too many drinks. (laughs) But it was great. Um, Yeah, and shouts out to Ben Lawrence, too. he he did a few battles. It was pretty interesting. How really? how, is the, yeah. how is the distribution? Like like where I want to go with this is, I think about and being skateboarding. I remember right. coming back with my kids after being out for the night, and my son and I guess my daughter's boyfriend at the time were like, "All right, YouTube, throw it up," and it was Battle of the Barracks being streamed, right? And yes. it's just like it's raw. It, and I yep. I remember seeing like a goosebumps because I remember texting Ron Tight at the time or sending a message to him going oh my God, this is the future of distribution. This is the future of broadcasting. And it was just streamed to YouTube from the barracks. Yep, it's actually, so we do live pay-per-views for our events. Um, Oh, wow. More so the bigger events. So we also have a huge division in Boston that I forgot about there. That's probably one of our biggest divisions, actually. But when we (laughs) do ones in places like Boston and Los Angeles and Toronto... We do full out pay-per-views, live pay-per-views, and then the content also goes up on YouTube a few Mm -hmm. weeks later and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, too, though, because 
my brother is a skateboarder. He had like he was sponsored by Volcom for a while and stuff like that. And he was the one that put me on to battle rap, like the modern era of battle yeah. rap. And I remember being like, yo, this is so cool. The rawness of streaming and everything yeah. like at battle rap and skateboarding. I've talked with him a lot about the in terms of the community and the, you know, the pro skaters and the top tier battle rappers like it's uh there's so many similarities within how the communities exist and the division between fans and the talent, for lack of better word. Yeah, right? and, the, and the support. The support, support is unreal, among, too. Yeah. You know, even though you have your, your camps. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty pretty interesting. And then, of course, YouTube. I mean, King of the Dot, I think there's 800. We just passed 800,000 subscribers on awesome. our main YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's battles up there with millions and millions of views. And... It's wild to think about that, you know, there's millions of people out there watching rap battles at any given time. Yeah. Very, very interesting to think about. But King of the Dot is, we're one of the biggest in the world for um, English-speaking battle leagues. Because there's a lot of non-English-speaking battle leagues that you wouldn't believe the numbers they pull in. I can imagine it, though, yeah. The Philippines probably have the biggest one. I mean, there's, I think there's battles there with hundreds of millions of views and soccer stadiums. Disaster went and battled wow. uh, the Filipino battle rapper Looney in the same soccer stadium that the Thrill in Manila was in. Hmm. Yeah, and the, the guy, the rapper Looney, walked out with a full orchestra playing for his entrance music. Look and stuff. at that! It's madness. And at Russia, um, they have a battle rapper there, Oxymiron, who will clear about 25 million views when he releases a battle in two to three days. Wow! Wild. All in Russian, so it's hard for non-Russians like to follow, the, but the, the market is just insane. And yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that. So I, for, I forgot to, 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 uh, to note down, because I have it in my notes here. Yeah. Ben actually wanted me to ask you okay. about Detroit. Oh, he did? He said, literally, I have a <laughs> bat, battle rap in Detroit. Battle rap in Detroit. Okay, yeah. so I was filming the battle while this was all going on, but I think Ben got way too drunk at the hotel before the event started. And where the event was, was on 7 Mile, because all the roads there are 6 Mile, 7 Mile, as everyone knows, 8 Mile, right? 7 Mile is kind of a rough place. I mean, Detroit's kind of a rough place, too. But he showed up to the event just already completely wasted. And at some point during one of the battles, he just starts going, oh, Toronto this, and yeah, and like, starts like kind of yelling and talking through the battles and everyone starts turning their head to look over at him and before anyone could really say anything uh my friend nate and our friend our friend nate and our friend joey both had to grab ben and drag him out of the venue and then put him in nate's car across the street and let him sleep it off for the rest of the event <laughs> um and i think there's footage of it in one of the battles kind of see what happens off to the side. So was he supposed to be one of the rappers? No, no. He was no. just there having a good time. Yeah, okay. he drove down with some of our friends. And uh, I think our friend Joey was battling on the second day. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, he was just a mess, like, when we first got there. But, but you know, Ben, he's such a great guy. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't like he was trying to start problems or anything. But he was just leaning against the wall with his eyes closed, being like, ah, this, and oh, you're not going to, ah, this and that, while the battle's happening, and, like, you have to be kind of quiet when the battle's happening to respect the rappers, right? 
And before, yeah, before anyone could really do anything to him, Nate and uh, Joey got him out of there, and he slept it off for, I want to say the next probably four or five hours in a empty parking lot on Seven Mile in the hood of Detroit. <laughs> and he lives. He and he lived to tell the tale, he and he's, he's still here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a good overall weekend. I do love Detroit. It gets a bad rap, but, um, you know, all the people I've met there and that we've all met there through King of the Dot and stuff are just so humble and so nice and so accommodating when we're there. And They're so happy to see you and happy that we're there to, you know, take part in what they got going on as well because there's so much talent in these places that don't get a lot of shine mm -hmm. because while they have great platforms in these places – King of the Dot is a huge platform and to get, you know, to be able to do an event with us, it can benefit a lot of these guys that would otherwise fly under the radar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So who, who are the boys? Uh, oh, <laughs> like my guinea pigs? I, I don't know. I, the I boys? <laughs> who, who told you to ask about the boys? Was uh, it Sean? I can't remember. It's one of the two, Sean or Ben. One of Sean, the it was probably Sean. Yeah. The boys are my guinea pigs. So I grew up with guinea pigs like as pets. Like actual guinea pigs. Like actual guinea pigs, okay. yeah. Not like my friends, I do like weird it's, tests it's, on. It's not a crew <laughs> that you got. No, no, oh, no. So, no, yeah, the boys are my guinea pigs. And though that's actually funny. They, they keep coming up in a lot of podcasts and stuff because uh, they're my, guinea pigs are my favorite animals. I, I grew up with them. They were my first pets when I was a kid and everything like that. And... <laughs> Um, I had been thinking for a couple years about getting some guinea pigs because a dog is a lot of work. We had a dog growing up, but it's a lot of work. And a lot of the times I don't have, you know, I'm out on the road or um, just not able to get home for a couple days at a time. It wouldn't be fair to ask my dad or my brother who I live with to basically take care of this dog yeah. for me right they don't mind so i got some guinea pigs you can just feed the guinea pigs they'll survive if they got food and water but so i was thinking about getting some guinea pigs and i signed on to facebook after a long night of browsing craigslist for guinea pig adoptions and guinea pig cages and my friend ashley works at a pet value and somebody had just abandoned two guinea pigs in a box out front of pet value so i was like all right I'm coming to get them tomorrow, and now they have a nice big cage in my room, and the cage is always open, so I call them free-range guinea pigs. They can <laughs> come and go as they please, and, uh, you know, I've given them a better life than being abandoned in a box, and uh, I love those little guys. They've done wonders for, you know, me and just my mental health, and just I find pets can be very good. Um, they can be very good at helping you kind of – gain a sense of responsibility and get your kind of life together. If your life hasn't really been together, it almost kind of forces you to, hmm. right? This is just what I found over the years. Um, and it's true, like, I have, you know, it's not just like I go home and do whatever. I go home and I get to see my guinea pigs and feed them and I get to hold them when I'm not, when I'm in a bad mood, I just pick up one of the guinea pigs and I'm happy, right? It just nice to hang out with them and stuff and yeah it's very random that i have these guinea pigs but they've become kind of an <laughs> online sensation among my friends so they have uh, an instagram account not yet but you i'm really to leaning you towards to it that. i think so well all the guinea pig instagram accounts i follow because yes i do that now <laughs> i'm one of those pet owners now but man some of these guinea pigs have like fifty thousand followers and i'm like 
Man, what? I was going to say, is there any guinea pig Instagram account? Oh, yeah, there's no, tons. There I mean, I imagine so. I it's, uh, if, if I were to pull up my Instagram right now and go to the, like, the feed where it just kind of shows you everything, it's all guinea pig videos. Maybe the odd, like, <laughs> battle rap video or skateboarding video in there. But, uh, yeah, it's all <laughs> just, like, guinea pig videos and stuff because <laughs> it's a pretty tight-knit online community. I go on Reddit and look at pictures of guinea pigs all day. It's, it's, it's taken over my life. But, uh, you know, I put them in my new music video and stuff, and I think I really should start an Instagram account for them. I thought about maybe doing little skits and having my friends do voiceovers for them and stuff. Like Hammy Hamster. Exactly. Right. Like Hammy the Hamster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to watch that a lot as a kid. So it's uh, it's been a thought, but I'd want to make it more like, you know, adult. Yeah. Adult themed. <laughs> adult themed guinea pig content. Oh, that sounds weird. <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're, it's funny that you brought them up, though, because I don't have too much to say about them other than they're my guinea pigs, but they're, they've become kind of a sensation online with my friends that follow me on Instagram and Facebook. And that is awesome. People come over, oh, can I see the boys? It's like, yep, here they are. And you're talking about the guinea pigs. When the guinea pigs. Okay, there you go. Okay. Yeah. No, I have no children <laughs> sure. that I know of. I had to make sure. I had to make sure. <laughs> So, Joe, what, like, what's, what's, what's happening in 2020 for you? There's an EP coming out? Yes, actually, so there's two EPs coming out. Um, the first EP that will be coming out is my own personal, fully, like, personal project called uh, Alligator Pie. And um, it'll be, I'm torn between five and seven songs right now. Going to see if I can finish the other two in time, basically. Um, so I'm hoping to have that out by the end of March. Um, and it's kind of like a lot of the songs are very, uh, well, the whole, the whole theme of the EP is kind of like a 90s nostalgic pop vibe. Mm. Not so much the music itself. There's definitely some pop elements to the music, but the overall branding of it is kind of like, um, yeah, like it's just, I've always kind of really liked uh, like 90s pop culture and stuff. I mean, I'm a child of the 90s, right? So it makes sense that it's nostalgic to me. So that's kind of the first project I've been working on. And then the second project I'm working on, which I'll actually have a the first single and video of that project will be released, I want to say January 27th or 28th. No, December 27th or 28th. I have so much going on right now. <laughs> I'm glad you asked this because helping me figure out what the hell I got going on here. So that one I'm doing with uh, my friend Jeremy who goes by the producer named Hooked on Chronic and he has completely produced the entire EP and it's my first time going into writing without having any writing input or control over the music itself and only doing mm. the vocals and lyrics. So it's been a really interesting experience and Two of the songs on that are, in my opinion, my best songs I've ever done. So hmm. it should be interesting to see how both these projects do, as they're both different projects musically. His stuff is a lot more like kind of electronic and drum and bassy, dubstepy, which is not something you'd normally hear from me. I'm a lot more on like the indie rock, piano ballad, hip hop side of things, right? So. It'll be an interesting year, but I got three or four music videos ready to go and two EPs that should be out. Everything should be out by May. 
awesome, like man. everything completely out and released by May. Perfect. So keep an eye out for all of that stuff. There you go. Well, listen, awesome. just not just because you're from Scarborough. Yeah. But we wish you all the best. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in 20. It hey. j- it, it'll just do awesome. Yeah. That you are. And where, where can people mm-hmm. find you? Oh, your, your uh, so yeah. So I mean my... Um, Cliffside Mall? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> find me on, on Kingston Road in Cliffside. Um, I mean, actually, you probably would be the best place to get a hold of me. I'm not on social media these, much these days. I try to be more so. So if you follow me on social media, I'll try and post as much as I can and keep you guys updated. It's on Twitter and Instagram, Joe Cash, C-A-S-H, um, Joe Cash, K-O-T-D. Um, and then on Facebook, you can find my Joe Cash fan page. Uh, I think it's facebook.com slash Joe Cash Music. And then I'm on all Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Tidal, all that fun stuff. Uh, my YouTube channel is just called Joe Cash. If you look that up, I probably got about 10 to 15 of my own music videos. And that's also a good place to check out a lot of my videography work I do for other people. Awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. All the best, Joe. Thanks for coming in, man. Oh, yeah. thank, thank you guys for having me. I had a great time. This was awesome. great. Thank yeah. You.